Well, good morning, New Life Church. Just get myself situated here. Good to be back with you. After a week away in, in Phoenix, had an awesome week. My wife didn't get sick on me. You know, God didn't mess with any of my plans. Gave me some great weather. We had a great, uh, great week in Phoenix. Uh, good to be back with you. You know, went back in the office Tuesday. The first thing Jasmine said to me was, how is it possible that you're whiter now than when you left? And that's, and I laughed, but that hurt. It hurt. Uh, great week. Uh, the worst part of any trip like that is the flight. I mean, no offense, pilots. I know some of you are in the room here, but um, uh, don't enjoy the flight so much. Uh, it, it's the takeoff and the landing that are the most interesting, right, in a flight. Uh, we're, we're finishing up this morning our series through the little book of James. And if this book of James uh, would be compared to an airplane, James would definitely be a fighter pilot or a fighter jet taking off of an aircraft carrier. Have you ever seen that happen? Pretty cool. I did a little research this week. A fighter jet takes two seconds to go from, from stop to flying. And it, and it does that in, in 90 meters. It has a 90 meter runway that it's catapulted off and has two seconds to be in flight. That pilot's pulling four G's by the time he's after those two seconds. And uh, boy, it takes off like a shot. And that kind of reminds me of the book of James because, man, this book moves fast and it starts fast. I mean, verse one, James introduced himself. And if you remember back to the beginning, verse two, he's right in the thick of it. He says in verse two of his letter, count it all joys, my bro- my, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Boom, he's off like a shot. And he comes to a screeching halt. We're gonna see uh, this morning. You ever seen one of those fighter jets land on, an, on uh, an aircraft carrier? They got that wire across there and it just, it comes screaming in and then like two seconds later it's stopped dead. And that's kind of like the book of James here. There's no flowery beginning. There's no flowery send off. It just ends with a bang. And uh, he's got important stuff to say to us right to the very last word. And so this morning we're bringing to an end uh, uh, our, our trip through the book of James we've been on over these last few months. When we began uh, 10 weeks ago, we said that kind of the key idea, the key verse we found in the book was, uh, was found in chapter one, verse 22, when he says, my brothers and sisters, don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but be, do you remember? Be doers of the word. And this is his great concern, that we're not just gonna be hearers of God's word, but we're gonna be doers of God's word. We're gonna be doers of the gospel. And for that reason, I mean, uh, James is an intensely practical book, which makes it easier to preach, but it makes it hard to hear. Because this is where the rubber meets the road, and it's a really practical book. Uh, And and to me, I, I thought that the book reminded me a bit of a Swiss army knife. I think what James is doing in this book is he's trying to tell them, he's trying to tell us, listen guys, the gospel of Jesus is not a one trick pony. It's not one of those switch blades that just has one knife on it because he said, some of you, you think that's all the gospel is. It is one thing. 
The gospel is all about saving you from your sins and bringing you to heaven someday so that you can live forever with God. He says it certainly is that, but the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is like a, a, a kind of like a Swiss army knife that does a lot of different things for us. He says uh, in, in his book, the gospel is, uh, he says it gives us the ability to endure all trials with peace and even with joy. It gives us the ability to do that. He says the gospel, um, it gives us the ability to have mercy on people, to uh, look to other people's needs before our own. It gives us the ability to do that. He says the gospel, it gives us the ability, it, it, it changes our tongue. It gives us the ability to do word, to use words to bring life instead of to take life. He says, now, I don't know, would the gospel have a corkscrew on it? I'm not really sure. It says, the, the, the gospel gives you the ability to find contentment with God in such a way that it makes you a peacemaker and it, 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 it allows you to have peace in relationships around you because it brings you into contentment. He says, the gospel does all these things for you. Put the gospel to practice in every arena of your life. And that's what he's been doing. He's been taking through, he's been taking us through this trip through all the various aspects of our life and how we live out the gospel, how we put our faith into action in all these areas of life. Uh, and uh, he's gonna close his letter by, by talking about prayer. Talking about, we're gonna talk about prayer this morning and I know I've preached on prayer, you've heard sermons on prayer. Don't turn off your mind here. This is obviously very important to James, this is how he ends his letter, uh, and we're gonna find out why. If you have your Bible, turn to James chapter five. We're gonna read verses 13 to 20. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll put the words on the screen here so you can follow along. James chapter five, uh, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens now gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The end that's just it. There's no goodbye, there's no grace and peace, none of that sort of stuff. Just boom, it's over. Uh, so he, he's got really important stuff right till the end for us and he devotes this last chunk of his letter to prayer. In fact, if, if you count the number of times he uses the word, he uses it eight times. Uh, one thing I didn't notice about, really until this week, as I read about this, looked at it more carefully, was how often you find prayer discussed at the end of the letters of the New Testament. Like Paul, James, it's a very common thing. And I knew that, you know, 
they, they talked about prayer in these different letters, but what I didn't pick up on is that it always happened right at the end. It was always the last thing that Paul, and, and now James, speaks about. Uh, now, I'm really slow to pick up on patterns. You can ask my wife. I am. You know, now in the spring, I'll get all nasally, and, and, I'll be like, and she'll be like, that happened last year at this time. And the year before that, that happened at this time. I think you might have allergies. And I'm like, really? I mean, I could get sick the same time every year, 100 years in a row, and it would never dawn on me that there was a pattern here. I'm just one of those guys, I'm slow on picking up on patterns, okay? So I never really picked up on this pattern until this week. It's kind of interesting. Prayer always comes at the very end of the instruction. And I don't think that's a coincidence, and I don't think what... what what, um, well, well, here, I mean, let me just show you the pattern. Just an example, Ephesians. Paul says, Ephesians chapter six, last chapter of the book, verse uh, 18, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. His last instruction was on prayer. The very next book, Philippians, last chapter, chapter four, verses um, Six, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's his last word of instruction. The very next book, Colossians, last chapter, chapter four, verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The very next book, 1 Thessalonians, the very last chapter, chapter five, final instruction, verse 16, rejoice. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It always ends with instruction on prayer. And James is no different here. He devotes his, 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 his last words to this topic. And I don't think what they're doing is saying, oh yeah, I've told you all sorts of important things. Oh, and by the way, and you should pray too. I don't think that's what they're doing. Um, I, I think that, that James here and Paul, they're speaking to the centrality of prayer in everything. And so if there's just kind of one statement, one thought that I'd like you to take home from, from the text we're gonna look at th- this morning, it's this statement, that prayer is not one of the things we do. It is the one way that we do everything. That's what James is gonna show us. Because he's gonna show us how we are to pray in four very different circumstances. He's going through the circumstances of life and how prayer needs to be at the center of that. Prayer is not one of the things the Christian does amongst other things. Prayer is the one way that we do everything. And that's why I think it comes at the end. And I think that's why James spends more time at the end talking about prayer than Paul ever spent talking about prayer at the end of his letters. Because James has devoted his whole book to doing. It's all about faith in action. And I think James knows the propensity of, the, of, of all of that talk about action, doing, 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 is that doers, those that are focused on doing, sometimes are those that neglect prayer the most can treat prayer not as a doing, but as a not doing, as almost as if prayer is a waste of time. You ever thought that? You ever questioned, is prayer a waste of time? And so I, I think he's anticipating that he said to, to, to us, you gotta do this and, and, here, and here's how you need to apply the gospel in, in this area of your life. And it's all about doing the word 
And, and I think what he's wanting to do is to show us that the only way that we can do any of that is um, if we are in communion with God. And that's what prayer is. I mean, prayer is communication with God. Let's not make it any more complicated than it needs to be. Whether that's pouring our feelings out to God, whether that's telling God how great he is and how much you love him, whether that's bringing your needs and your requests to God, whether that's thanking God, whatever it is, prayer is simply communication with God. I mean, the word communication uh, is, is, is the act of communing, being with. And so James is talking about the centrality of prayer in all the circumstances of our lives. If we're to be doers well, we need to be prayers, he says. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at. You go to this little story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Some of you, you know this story well. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They come to this village where uh, there's this home. He has friends there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so uh, he comes to this village, to this home where a woman named Martha opens up her home. She also had a sister uh, named uh, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So there, Jesus is sharing in the living room with his disciples and there Mary is at his feet listening, spending time with. But Martha, the other sister was, what does it say? Distracted. Now it doesn't say Martha was busy. Someone else could have looked at her and said, well, she's busy. Yes, she was busy. But Jesus looked at her and said, she's not busy, she's distracted by all the things that she was doing and felt she needed to do. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and, and, and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to start doing and stop listening and sitting. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only, say it, one. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think what Jesus is saying is, Mary, at the end of the day, there is one thing that you need to do, and it's out of that one thing that will overflow in you the ability, the strength to do the other things. But if you don't do the one thing, you won't be able to do the other things. You're gonna become like you are. You're gonna become worried and upset and troubled and disheartened and you're gonna give up because you have not done the one thing that you need to do that your sister has chosen. If you're gonna do well, he says, you need to sit and you need to commune with me. You need to pray. Spend time with God. Jesus is saying, what he's saying and what James is saying to us is that your circumstances can either distract you from God or drive you to God. They'll do one or the other. Your circumstances, whether they be good circumstances or bad circumstances or whatever, they can either distract you from God or they can drive you to God. And what James wants to make clear is that Christianity is a contact sport. It's all about contact with God, 
communing with him, that everything we do flows out of that contact, that connection. And this is why Jesus says in the Gospel of of, uh, John, chapter 15, verse five, he says, "Um, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do, do you know what, nothing? Jesus says the most important thing, if you're gonna do anything else, that's gonna have to flow out of one thing, and the one thing is the abiding. Your version might say the remaining. You need to be in me. Before you can be a doer, you need to be a beer. You need to be a beer. Be with God. And he he goes on to say in, in John 15, if you don't, you will, like a branch, you will wither and die and fall off, be cut off of the tree. If you don't remain abide in me, Jesus says. So, so I think this is what James is saying. Guys, I don't, all, you need to do these things, but those things have to flow out of communion with God. It's the only way. Your faith is a contact sport. And then he shows us the various, what this looks like in various scenarios in our life. He says, if, if you are doing outside of prayer, you're gonna get, like Martha, you're gonna get discouraged, all these challenges, all these troubles you're gonna face, you're gonna get discouraged, disheartened, overwhelmed, and you might just give up. That well is gonna run dry. And so, he, he says, his first scenario is, is anyone among you in trouble? Now this goes right back to the beginning of his letter when he began by saying, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. He's coming back to that. He's he's saying, listen, are any of you facing hard things? You should pray. That's what you need to do. It's out of the, the communion with God that you will have the ability to endure. And, and I mean, I know this in my own life. Listen, I'm preaching to myself here. I'm not holding myself up as, an, as a great example of prayer like, like James is gonna hold up for him, himself and we're gonna find out at the end what that looks like for him. But man, like I, I have battled this area because I, I'm like a list maker. I wanna get to the list of things that I need to do and so when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm facing challenges and trying to fix things, I'm not, I, I easily talk to myself okay, this is what I need to do, and then I, I gotta do that, and, I, and I'm making plans to try to cope with these situations, and he says, you need to go, and you need to talk with God. Uh, I think maybe this is what the, the prophet Isaiah meant in Isaiah chapter 40, 29 to 31, a, a well-known passage, uh, when he says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who are those who renew their strength? Who are those who soar, run, and walk? Who are they? Those that wait, not for the Lord, not sitting there going, God will show up and do something at some point if I just wait here long enough. Not waiting for God, waiting upon the Lord. It's a waiting in the Lord. I think what, what, what Isaiah is talking about is communion. He's talking about prayer. Communication with God. It's out of that that one is renewed with the strength they need for whatever it is they face. So James is saying prayer needs to be not a last resort but a first response. And how often is it in my life and maybe in your life where it's, it's sometimes the last thing you do, the last thing you think of, 
He says, if you're in trouble, you need to get with God. You need to pray. There's no other way. And then he goes to another scenario here. He says, now on the opposite end of the spectrum, hey, some of you, maybe things are great. You've never been in a better place. You know, at work, in the home, whatever. Kind of trouble-free period in your life. Isn't that awesome? If any one of you is happy, let them pray. Which is essentially what he's saying. Praise is the singing of your prayers. Because you know when you get really happy, joy, when you've got joy in your heart, that expresses itself in song. Right? You do that in the shower every once in a while. On one of those good mornings. Not on a bad morning, on the good morning. So he's saying, hey, if things are going well, you too need to pray. Prayer isn't just, communion with God isn't just for times when you're in trouble. Because I think very often we, we might be quicker to run to God with our SOS prayers. Like our really, I need your help sort of prayer. And, and, and a lot slower to come to God with what I might call our LOL prayers. I don't know if that fits, but it just kind of fits the pattern. You know LOL? Some of you of a certain generation are like, what is he talking about? This guy's an idiot. LOL? You know what that means? Laugh out loud? Right? Kind of happy prayers. We often go with the SOS prayers, but I, I think he's saying, bring your LOL prayers to God too. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Stay connected to God in the good times because sometimes the good times are the hardest times spiritually. Right? I mean, when maybe your things are going so good, you don't even sense your need for communion with God. And we can grow distant and distracted and everything looks good on the inside, but on the, on the outside, but on the inside, something is rot, rot, uh, getting rotten, it's weakening, and then a storm comes in the tree, falls over. Is any of you happy? Hey, in good times, commune with God. Express to him your enjoyment in what he has given you, what he's done for you. Express your gratitude to him. May the good things in your life drive you to God just as much as the hard things in life. Because if, if all you're doing is coming to God in, in your times of suffering, it's like running on one leg. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And then he paints this third scenario here. And, and truthfully, you got lots of questions about this and I ain't gonna answer them. Because that's a, that's a sermon series in its own. More ink has been expended trying to, trying to answer the questions that come out of these verses than almost any other verse in the New Testament. But now he talks about another scenario where someone is sick and it's likely that this person is very physically sick because the sick person is, in co- is instructed to come call the elders to come and pray over them and we've adopted that terminology. Brother, can I pray over you? But I think this is literally praying over. Like this person is flat on their back. They could die. They are very ill. And so the person is literally standing over them praying. He says, in your sickness, call the elders, those who have been charged with shepherding of the body to come. Um, Elders and pastors kind of used synonymously in those letters. Let them call the elders of the church to come and pray over them and to anoint them with oil. Well, which is another question. What's this whole oil thing about? That's kind of weird. We only see that one other time. um, The sick being anointed with oil. It's Mark chapter six. It talks about the disciples going out and they healed people and anointed them with oil. 
And, and there's some debate as to what the whole purpose of the oil was back in Jesus' day. Oil was thought to have medicinal qualities, right? So the good Samaritan, when he picked up the broken man from the road, he tended to him and he applied oil to him. It was supposed to be like medicine. And I know some of you who are like into essential oils, you're like, hey man, I believe that. I be- oils have healing powers. Some of you right now, you're turning to your husband and going, see, mm-hmm, told ya. Bible says right there, Matthew chapter five. My wife is gonna hold that over me now. She's, oils heal. Maybe they do. Uh, I, I don't think he's probably talking about the, medic- the medicinal qualities of the oil. Here, I, I, oil, when it was applied to people often in, in the Bible, had a, had a symbolic meaning, just like the water of baptism was symbolic. And when we have the cup and eat the bread of communion, that's symbolic of a reality. And so this oil is symbolic of God's healing presence being applied to the person. And so I don't think we're supposed to understand that there's any magic power in this oil. The power is in the prayer that is offered in faith. That's where the power is here and so again, and, and then he, and he, again, lots of questions. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Some people in Jesus' day thought that all sickness was the result of sinfulness. So if you were sick, you, you did something bad. Why is this guy blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Someone must have sinned. Jesus said, no, not all sickness comes from sin, but, but at times there might be a connection. So, so I mean, if, if you're not, how many of us have wondered when something bad befalled us, befalled, befell, befooled? I'm not sure, I really don't know. I'm gonna move on. I just, when something bad has happened, we've wondered, is that, is that connected to something I've done or haven't done? Is this punishment? I and mean, we've all wondered that, right? And what he's saying here is, listen, if, if you're going through something like that and you're lying on your bed and you got nothing to do but to think, he's saying, it's a good time to assess, just self-assess, is, is there anything in your life that isn't right? And if there is, confess that. Make that right. And so he says, you know, in this time, it's a great time to assess yourself. And if there's, and if there's any sin there, well then, we'll confess that. And um, that joined to the prayer of faith may contribute to God's moving and healing way. Now, does healing always happen? I mean, if, if some of you, this, this has happened to some of you. People have been healed, I've seen it. People have been miraculously healed in this way. We believe this as a church. God miraculously heals in this way. He doesn't always. Doesn't always. Have you ever met a 172-year-old person? Anyone? Has anyone ever met a 172-year-old person? I haven't either. Why? Eventually we die. I mean, you, you can't just call the elders and have oil applied when you're 80 and 85 and 90 and 95 and 100 and 120, 125 and just keep this thing going forever. That's not what this is about. So yes, God chooses at times to heal in this way according to his sovereign will. But God doesn't always move in that way. The the point here, there's lots of questions, but James' point is, hey listen, when you're going through something as severe as that, your first response ought to be to turn to God in prayer and to seek the prayer of others. Make much about prayer in that time because even now more than back then, I mean now it's all, hey, medicine, that's great, doctors, that's great, that's a gift from God that we ought to use. But he says, don't forget that every good gift comes from God. 
God is the giver of every gift. So your first response ought to be to go to God in prayer. He's talking about the centrality of, of, of communion with God in situations like this. Anyway, before I move on from that, I just want to say, hey, listen, if you ever find yourself in a place where you are really unwell and, and you think of this verse and you go, maybe I should call my elders, and if you feel that's something that God wants you to do, give us a call. We do this. We've got, we've got some oil sitting in the office area. I don't know if it's canola or vegetable or coconut. I don't really know. Doesn't really matter. I hope it doesn't go rancid. Can oil go rancid? It can? Okay, well. It might make you really sick then. I don't know. I just, we probably update that oil every so often. Anyway, all that to say we do this, right? God speaks about the power of prayer. So if you want to avail yourself of prayer in this way, know that we as a church believe this, we do this. Never hesitate to call on the elders of the church to come and to pray over and with you. And then he, uh, he, he continues one final kind of scenario here. He says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And he's talking here now about the situation in our life where there, we might be dealing with, with some of our own sin. And he's talking about the connection between uh, sinfulness and sickness. And you know what, this is actually an area where a lot of people scoff at this. Okay? This is actually an area where science is catching up with the Bible. That's always cool when science starts to catch up with what the Bible's already said. I mean, they're finding now with studies that, that we, have, we have siloed the human being, body, mind, and spirit from one another in, in a way that doesn't work. That somehow mind, body, spirit are independent, and they're not independent. Studies are finding now, of course, how much the mind affects the body. And, and I was reading something recently of, of this, uh, this researcher, secular, no reference to God or spirituality, just detailing how they've shown that when a person keeps secrets on the inside, things that they're ashamed of, they feel guilty about, wrongs they've done or they feel they've done, if they keep that in as a secret without sharing that, it makes them sick. They can actually see it in the brain. It causes stress. It takes a toll and it actually, they've found, makes you physically sick. Now, I think he might be speaking about more than that sort of connection, but, but science is kind of catching up here with, with the Bible on this idea that there is a relationship between the health of our spirit and the health of our body, that living a duplicitous life is unhealthy. And so, uh, I mean, we, we, we find this idea in, say, Psalm 32. David, who did some terrible things that he was trying to keep inside, carry with him in secret, he says this, Psalm 32, verses uh, two and, and following. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Therefore I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my sins to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And he goes on to talk about the joy and the freedom and the release he felt, from the healing he felt from confession and repentance. And what, what, what James is saying is if you're carrying around anything in the darkness, you need to bring it out into the light. And that doesn't mean coming up here on a Sunday morning and saying, I looked at pornography, church. 
And so what he's saying is saying, if you're carrying anything in secret, you need to find someone that you can, with whom you can bring this out of the, the, the sickness of darkness into the health of the light so that you can pray and they can pray and together through communing with God and praying together, you can find wholeness and healing. Saying the only way, James says, to heal sickness is to bring that out into the light. And so confession isn't something you do once. And we've kind of, I kind of grew up with that. In, in, in my sort of church I grew up in, like confession was something you did once when you asked Jesus to forgive your sins. And then everything was, well, just refer back to that when I was seven, kneeling by the couch. Refer back. What he's saying is confession ought to be a lifestyle. It's the way we stay whole. And prayer is an important part, he says. Prayer is an important part of that well-being. Pray for one another, he says. And then he goes on, we're not gonna focus on it. He, he goes on in verse 19 and 20, his last verses about talking about you. If you see a brother or sister wandering into something destructive, Going off the path, you know, in love, gently go to them and try to encourage them back onto the path. We need to pray for one another, also need to prod one another to, to do what we ought to do because Christianity isn't just a contact sport where I am in contact with God, but it's when I'm in contact with one another. And so it's not about, I'm not just concerned about me doing what I need to do, but, I, but I'm deeply concerned that others do as well. He says, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another be made whole. Why? Well, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says prayer has power. It has the power to change your destiny and the destiny of those around you. Prayer. Um, and then he goes on to give an example and don't have time to really dive into it. He, he uses because you might think a righteous person, well, that's great. Let me, let me phone a righteous person and see if they'll pray for me. My grandma's really righteous. Maybe I'll let grandma pray. I, I mean, he's not talking about a super saint. He's talking about the fact that everyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and repented of their sins has become the righteousness of God. We are righteous before God. So he's saying every single one of us can avail ourselves, ought to avail ourselves of the power of prayer which has the power to change our destiny and the destiny of those around us. And then he uses Elijah as this example. He's a man just like us. I mean, he did some cool things. He brought down fire. I mean, he knew the, he knew the mountaintop, but he knew the valley. He ran from God. He ran from his troubles. He lacked faith. He asked God to take his life. He wanted to die. He was deeply depressed. He had his ups. He had his downs. He was like us. James says, but he prayed. And that prayer made a difference. And you can go read Elijah's story to, to see what that meant there. So I want to come back just to this one idea as we, as we kind of land this plane. But this, this, this plane landing won't be one of those two seconds fighter jet landing, okay? This will be more like one of, more of those conventional plane landings that takes a long time. Uh, you joke about you know, like how I'm done, but I'm not really done. I, I hear you talking. I'm kidding. 
It's a trick we pastors have to keep people listening. This is the point I want you to take with you. Okay, this is what James is saying. Prayer is not, or is not one of the things we do. It's the one way that we're supposed to do everything. In all situations, commune with God. Do the one thing. Do not neglect that because it's out of that that you will have the ability to do, to live out the gospel, to obey this word, James says. It's the one way we do everything. And James lived that out. In fact, James had a nickname. Do you know what it is? I don't know if I've shared this through the series. His nickname was Camel Knees. You ever seen a camel's knees? They got these bony legs, but then they got these big bulbous knees, right? James prayed so much that I guess to the people that saw him, he had like camel knees. He, he, had, he was on his knees so much that he had actually created hard, big calluses on his knees because he was a man of prayer. Man, I wish I could say, I, I wish I could roll up my knees and show you some scars, some calluses. They're pretty soft. <laughs> They're pretty soft. In fact, some of you ask, like, do you wax your legs? Do you get treatments? Because you don't want to see them. Uh, friends, I'm, 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 I'm preaching to myself here as well. We have a tendency to, we hear these words to do and we want to do and, and James says and Jesus says and Paul says, the most important thing is that you commune with God. That's where you're going to find the ability to do everything. The way we pray is a test of our faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what does the place of prayer in your life tell you about your faith? Are you, are, you, are you doing or are you being? Does your doing flow from your being with God? What does the place of prayer in your life tell you about your faith? There was a guy who said, and I like this quote, the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Let me say that again, think about that. The greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. So as, um, as I start to land this plane now, I, I want to just challenge you to do something. Maybe you have a pen right now and in the take it home section at the back of your bulletin you can do this now. If not, I want you to go home and do this. I want you, uh, it's, it's important that prayer is planned. Prayer needs to be planned. And that sounds kind of weird because it sounds unspiritual. But listen, everything that's important to you, you plan, Right? The Puritans said, pray until you pray. I like that. Think about that. Pray until you pray. Before prayer can be a delight, it's going to be a duty. And you've got to press on through duty until it becomes delight. You need to pray until you pray. And that's a discipline. Prayer needs to be planned. And so what I want you to do is I, I want you to, to pick a time in your day and a length of time, whether it be 10 minutes or 15 minutes or a half or whatever, I want you to pick a time and a length of time and I want you to write down what time every day this week you are going to pray. I want you to plan your prayer this week. And, and if you're someone here who's married and maybe your spouse is with you and maybe they're not here with you, but, but if as, as spouses you, you, you're open to praying together, 
mean even if you've never done that before? Because you're not comfortable praying out loud? Here's an added challenge to those of you who are married if you don't already do this. Every single day this week, spend at least five minutes praying with and for your spouse. And if there's anything you need to confess about how you got angry at one another that day or whatever, you confess that and then you spend at least five minutes praying together every day this week. So that, that's an, um, in addition to personal prayer, if you're married here, I encourage you to do that this week. That's my challenge to you. I mean, statistically, they talk about the power of that. I mean, I don't want to dwell on that, but statistically, They've shown that when, when, when two followers of Jesus who are married to one another pray with and for one another every single day, their marriage rate is less than one in one or their divorce rate is less than one in 1,000. It almost never happens. Communing with God together is the, is the place of renewal, of strength. So pick a time this week I want you to write that down. Prayer needs to be planned. And then I want you to pick a place. A time is important, but a place is important because, man, you you can be in a really distracted place. You know what? Daryl Bodden found me writing my sermon yesterday in some weird corner of, of, of this church building. You know why? I don't write my sermons in my office. I can't. Too many distractions. Got my to-do list, I got those books, all the people, there's the phone directory, oh, I, sh- I, sh- I ought to call so-and-so. Too many distractions. I gotta get to a place without those distractions. That's the only way it's gonna happen. It's no different with prayer. I mean, some of us, well, I don't think I have my phone on me. I mean, we bring our iPhone to our place. Don't bring your iPhone to your place of prayer. You don't need to Instagram your prayer. Some of you, you know, some of you maybe have done this. God forgives you. You've seen other people do this, right? You, you got your Bible open, your notepad with your prayer list, steaming cup of coffee, up on Instagram, spending time with God this morning. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Let's be honest. No, you're not, right? If you're using your phone during, during that time, if it's with you, you're, you're, not, you're not really communing with God. Put it away. And you know what? Don't, don't use your Bible on your phone because you're going you're to read and then there's going to be a ding and that's going to be a distraction. Did you know they still make the Bible in print edition? <laughs> it's hard to find. You go to Amazon, you dig, you will find one. So you bring one, a print edition, one that's not going to ding with, with, with a message from your spouse or someone else or a, a sports score update. You find one that's not going to ding and distract you and you bring that with you into this place, so you gotta decide where is that place? Where is that place? What practical steps do you need to do to impede mental drift? You need to create the time and the place because prayer is important. Communing with God is the one thing that we need to do above all else. So, that's my challenge to you. I want you today to write down a time and a place that you will pray every day this week. Before we close our time with, with some worship together, I, I do want us to take a minute. Let, let, let's kind of put this to practice right now with some personal prayer. If you want to bow your head and close your eyes, you can do it that way. But I, I just want to lead you in a short time of personal prayer. God can hear all of us. This is the cool thing about God. He's big enough to commune with every single one of us at the same time. Isn't that amazing? I want you to take a moment and I want you to to thank God that as big as he is and as small as you are, 
that God wants to be with you. That God cares about you and he wants to have communion with you. He wants to hear from you because he cares and he wants to talk to you. He wants to speak. So just take a moment. Just thank God for that. that. That's amazing. And after you've thanked him, just, just take a moment and say, God, I want prayer to be the center. I don't want it just to be one thing I do on a long list of other things. I want to be the one way that I do everything. Um, Lord, help me. Show me what time and what place I need to be doing that this week. Take a moment to ask him that. God, we thank you that we know that you are, through your son Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Um, You are with us. I thank you, Father, for this incredible reality that, that you care about every single one of us and that you want us to know you. You want to hear from us and you want us to hear from you. You want us to be with you, abide with you. Lord, that's hard for us at times. We, we, our lives are busy. We have all these distractions. We have, we have a, a tendency to just want to do, do, do instead of first be. I, I just pray, Lord, Lord that, that you would just enable us as we leave here, as we go into our week, just, just not to be the Martha who's distracted, running around with all the worries and troubles, but that we might be able to be the Martha that, that can take a pause and can sit down at your feet and commune with you and find there the renewing of our strength that we need, Lord, just to go through our days, Lord, to do the things that, that you've called us to do, that, that we want to do. And so, Lord, just enable us by, by your Holy Spirit to just to be able to um, go here and obey this word and, and every day this week spend time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.